1: Thank <laughs> you. to movies, films, and flicks. I am Mark Hoffmeyer, and joining me is a man who will be performing at the Tampa Hard Rock and Rock Lounge Cafe with a headless alien that sings inside a glass tank filled with water. It's John
2: Levingood. I mean, that that's what I do, and that, and that tank is going to hover, and we're going to do a duet like Huey Lewis and Gwyneth Paltrow did in duets, and we're going to do cruising. Me and that alien head.
1: I mean, how do you how do you practice? You have to go to his place to practice, right?
2: Well, honestly, I I prefer more impromptu practice where the head and I will just cruise different karaoke bars.
1: So we're just going to hit it. Does do you have to carry the head like the system around?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, it can hover. But I mean, the battery actually dies really fast. So I, I, I normally carry it around like a football and he's just like sloshing around in there.
1: And so, when you're four or five karaoke bars deep, you've had some some high life from Cigar City, some nice IPAs. I mean, do you forget to recharge his battery? Like, how,
2: you know, do, do you guys get too far ahead of yourselves? I'll tell you, you know, I get a few free drinks because I get, if I, if I win the karaoke contest with, with, with my floating head, we get the $25 bar tab. He can't drink. I just use it all in kamikaze shots. I forget to plug him in before I go to bed, and I wake up, and he's just in there in the morning.
1: So you can't, like, pour some Jägermeister like we did to the dinosaur in Jurassic World?
2: Pretty sure that would kill something that lived in a, a liquid medium. <laughs> I guess it would get him drunk. What about some green milk or blue milk? Oh, that green milk can't be a good additive to water. We get all cloudy and weird.
1: I watched that scene again in, in Last Jedi, and he he blatantly drinks it like a madman to spill a bunch of that milk on his beard.
2: It's like he drank that with the reckless abandon of Vin Diesel, flipping a Corona bottle upside down, but that Corona bottle had twice as wide of a lip.
1: I don't know how <laughs> that Corona bottle stays in his hands. Like the way he does it, it should fly over his head and do like eight spins in the air.
2: He actually his arm, you know, see, he, he's getting older and everyone thinks that his arms aren't quite as big as they used to be because it's been almost 20 years since Pitch Black, I think he has switched entirely to grip strength and finger exercises in lieu of bicep exercises just for his corona mastery. Do you want to hear something interesting? (laughs) Let's have it.
1: So on set, Vin Diesel only drinks the Coronitas, the little Coronas? and he makes it's like the little like those eight ounce cans yeah a, no like the the bottles they have tiny corona bottles is it so it he looks like andre the giant holding it yep and then the rock he gives them the he like the
2: 40 of corona bottles this so, doesn't really happen does it no oh god because if it did that would explain so much of the rivalry between them like if that was a joke that were like the rock had his assistant get him only little coronas <laughs> And so like when
1: Vin Diesel drinks a Corona, it looks huge because he's drinking a Coronita.
2: Do they just do they just use like they make sure that the 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 beer arm is closest to the camera. So it makes it look by perspective like it's a regular sized bottle like they would Gandalf and Frodo.
1: And they've had to take all beer out of those Coronas because the way he flips it, that stuff
2: would shoot like a rocket. It would. It, it would probably piss off the carbonation in there too. I mean, it would fly, right? Yeah, like the, it would be angry carbonation. Like
1: you know when people win like a championship and they're doing that with with champagne bottles, That's right? What, what like like a NASCAR.
2: <laughs> yeah. Poor Vin Diesel.
1: Yeah, and also when they drink champagne, uh, he does the little ones, and he gives rocks the like comically sized ones when
2: people win an IndyCar race. He gets like the big triple magnum. Yeah. And and, and then and then Vin Diesel has the one that like. You know, you have just to have one glass. Oh no, a Sophia Mini. Sophia Mini. A Sophia Coppola.
1: <laughs> this all we love the Fast and Furious movies and we love Vin Diesel. Uh, we're just doing this because of the rivalry that they have on set, so that's the only I, reason we're doing I
2: this. do love Vin Diesel, but I need to be very clear. If I love Vin Diesel, then I will gouge out somebody's eyes just to be near the rock.
1: <laughs> yeah. Would you say you're a Stan fan of The Rock? A what fan? A Stan fan. I don't know what that means. Remember from the Eminem song Stan, how crazy that fan was? Are you a Stan okay, fan? Okay, maybe.
2: I Like I might – I know. you know what? I think it would be a little more like awkwardly endearing. I have a feeling that like he's like one of those people where I might actually get starstruck and just like if he came up, when, like I was waiting to get an autograph and actually looked me in the eye and said, hey, how you doing? I think I just freeze with a big goofy looking smile on my face. And then I tell and then I go around telling everyone's like, Oh my god, you won't believe it. I met the rock and I talked to him, and then you'd be there be like, You didn't talk to him, you just sat there with your slack jaw. Yeah, and then you, you, he sort of just walked away from you. It was it was awkward. So, I still remember in 2013 you predicted that pain and gain would be my favorite movie of the year, and I think it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I, I said
1: that. yeah. You know, uh, like, you you I mean we both have our habits.
2: Yep. Yeah. Uh, mine was for, i love that that, that zany movie
1: <laughs> pain and gain
2: i tell you what i've been uh uh
1: we'll talk about it next month actually because uh, i've been writing a massive article about the rock for rotten tomatoes so we'll talk about it next month but uh yeah i'd love to go over his filmography coming up also speaking of filmography i keep forgetting to do this robert lamb the guy who has podcasts with us probably 10 plus times great dude you should go to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and search paralyzed. So Robert Lamb writes this horror, fictional horror podcast that he writes, edits, records on his Instagram, seven lamb productions. He brings in a lot of voice talent. Pretty much everyone from St. Pete has been on this thing and it's getting a lot of attention. So if you're in the mood for a very scary original horror podcast, check out paralyzed at seven lamb productions by Robert Lamb. You will love it. John listened to it one time and got so paralyzed with fear, he didn't move out of his chair for three days. (laughs) I was
2: was waiting for The Rock to save me. You were literally paralyzed. I thought that The Rock was going to jump with a prosthetic leg across three buildings to save me from it. Yeah, 40 feet.
1: (laughs) One more thing. If you watch the old cliffhanger trailer, right, there's a scene in the trailer that's not in the movie. It is Sylvester Stallone literally jumping 40 feet on from all right so there's no he's not higher than anything he's not lower than anything the, the ground is just picture like a flat surface with a hole in the middle
2: he 40 jumps, foot long jump over a chasm yes,
1: and he makes it
2: isn't like the olympic world record like 26 feet yes
1: and it's in the trailer for cliffhanger some guys <laughs> I didn't know that when i wrote the article about the rock making the longest cinematic jump by a human of all time someone showed me that trailer but it's not in the movie so i'm like that's just in the trailer so get get that out of here get that out of here but uh yeah you should watch that the cliffhanger trailer and just watch this insane jump all right let's move on
2: and so if you can find that we got to put that in the pod post
1: yeah and i'll like link the time just so when you click it i I watched it i'm like this is how i was like how you know for me all right so when i see something in movies i'm not like that won't would never happen i wrote that happened i would i like all right so i'm let me start over when i see (laughs) something in a movie that is impossible physically impossible a lot of people are like that could never happen but for me i'm like i want to figure out how this happened like how what was the win there was the trajectory i don't know i couldn't figure out a logical thing for this jump by sylvester stallone in cliffhanger i couldn't do it <laughs> and i'm also working on another data post that's killing me right now but i'll save What's that, that, that on? i can't tell no?
2: you okay it's a, we're keeping it well, listeners you're gonna know one day because he's we're gonna get to it it's basically whenever I try to work on it, though, it hits me in the stomach. So it's about the best gut punches of film. I wish it would be easier. The best food poisoning of film.
1: What are the best gut punches of film?
2: I don't know, but if you combine the best gut punches with the best food poisoning, you'd have one hell of a mess.
1: <laughs> you know what I'm thinking about? The best gut punches in action in film can't be like in an action film where they throw eight punch combos to like one to the gut head. You know, like they work the body then the head, mix it up. It's got to be like a comedy where a guy just gets hit in the gut once. Like you know those yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know when those henchmen run up to a guy and they just hit him in the stomach and then And then they
2: fall over. They yeah. like fall over like they're unconscious or like they've been electrocuted.
1: Now, to be fair, when I first started boxing, I didn't think about getting punched. I just thought, "Hey, I'll just get punched in the head." Some guy he hit
2: grabs tight.
1: Some guy hit me in the body and I crumpled. Like so whenever I see that in a movie now, I'm like, "I get it."
2: I get it. Yeah.
1: Like <laughs> I, th- I was like, I was like, am I, am I going to die?
2: These henchmen do all this target practice. They're not, they're not practicing getting hit at all. That's what it is. They're practicing oh. hitting on, on like one of those MMA dummies, but they are not taking hits and learning to tighten their abs and keep their abs tight. They are not tightening and gritting their teeth and locking their jaw when they go into combat, not realizing that if they take a good hook, they're going to dislocate their mandible if they don't have, if they don't grit their teeth. Like they don't know that because they're not trained for. They're just like, here, go do some target practice and go punch these pads. I think that's what's happening.
1: Yeah. You know when Brock Lesnar trained for MMA, he very he he would hit pads, but he never sparred, so he never got hit. And you can see in some of his fights against uh, Cain Velasquez, Alistair Overeem, when he took some shots. I mean, these are shots by heavyweights. He crumpled fast. Yeah. So like he's an immensely talented fighter. But he's like the henchman of MMA
2: people. Well, he got paid well. He might have been too, ter- like, terrified of getting injured while training or something, yeah. I think.
1: I just like the henchman thing. They never take punches. They just throw punches.
2: I'm telling you, they're just hitting pads and doing target practice. Or, or so not even necessarily the target practice. There's, here's a very expensive shiny gun Yeah. And with there's... with a laser sight that you don't know how to use. <laughs>
1: There's a literal shoulder cannon that is heat sinking.
2: You watch Arnold Schwarzenegger escaping from that mansion in, in like, in the, the Swiss Alps or whatever in the beginning of true lies. There are like 18 guys shooting automatic weapons at him within 50 feet. And he is my, my size and wearing a white suit in the dark. He is like a glowing target, a glowing plus-size target, and 18 guys with, oh, God, I just, I, mean, I love that movie. I'm not crazy. I love True Lies almost as much as I love life, but that, these these henchmen, they just give them guns. They think it's going to work.
1: Maybe the bullets did hit him, and they're pulling a rock from Furious 8 where rubber bullets just don't even hurt them.
2: You know, instead of giving them, like, these $1,500 assault rifles made in Germany, they should just give them each, like, a $50 sawed off shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden like our heroes would be dropping like flies in movies. Just think, okay, remember how we okay, we're, one day we're going to get to listen to questions, but I got to get this. We've commented multiple times about how the the Fast and Furious crew have basically turned into Marvel superheroes. They've gotten more and more and more and more powerful, like almost supernaturally with every film. And back in film 1, like the whole crew was almost taken out by a dude in a truck with a shotgun. Right, yeah. but that just shows. Because after that, it was everybody had Berettas and AK-47s without without target practice. If they just had those shotguns, our crew would have been dead by part three. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, part four. The first time they got together again. Yeah, you're right. They would have been gone if they, if when they were crossing the Mexican border through that tunnel under the mountains in uh in four the Fast and the Furious. They'd all be dead. Instead, everyone had their like, oh, their, their German Glocks and their Berettas and their, their shiny whatevers. Dude, sawed off shotguns. All dead. <laughs> all dead. Cause no one, no one's getting missed by, by six, six inches to six feet anymore. They're
1: all dead. You're starting to, you're starting to sound like Scott Evil. I'll go get my gun and we'll shoot him.
2: Yeah, dead. No don't don't close the door the the sharks would think like he, he could escape he's like no no we're going to close the door and just what comfortably know that he will eventually be eaten and lazed to death by the sharks no dad i'll just go get his gun right now bang bam it's over it's over it's over, it's over. <laughs> oh speaking of being over we should be over with the intro and actually get to these listener questions
1: all right so the first listener question is uh so the topic this week is solo And spoilers abound. Like they more Mm -hmm. than abound. They uber abound. So if you
2: have more spoilers than if you actually saw the movie.
1: Yeah. I mean, we're making stuff up. So if you haven't (laughs) seen Solo, go watch Solo, which I recommend. Go watch it. Come back and listen to this podcast because we're going to, we're going to go, we're going to, we're going to take a Kessel run. We're going to go deep. We're going to go deep into the Sarlacc pit, which I want to see. Sarlacc pits
2: are going to come up with one of my answers to one of these questions. Nice. (laughs)
1: <laughs> All right, so first question is, so you think there will ever be a Lando-Doctor Strange crossover cape
2: adventure? Okay. I In movies, I hope not. But if it happened, if for some reason this, this dream happened, I would want it to only be a cartoon or a great caliber fan film. Like, because I think a real film, I think it's going to get so much, like, uh, just – anger or questioning from – and and then people uh think about what it does to the universes. I'm treating this like a very real scenario, right? It, what it does to the, the universes of these two uh film franchises. But if it's a great fan film, it doesn't have to be connected. Remember when they did that fan film years ago with the Predator coming to hunt on Earth during medieval times and he was hunting the knights and everyone who likes the Predator movies was like, yeah, this is the best fan film ever. But it was a film – People might question continuity or consistency between things. And there was a Hellraiser, I think it was called Origins fan film, that everyone said was better than any of the films after part three or two. And But again, it was a fan film, and it was okay that they had some art, their own artistic license, whereas artistic license and the other Hellraiser sequels gets ripped apart by people like me who love the first Hellraisers devoutly. So this sounds to me like if someone was to really do it, It's got to be a cartoon or a high-quality fan film. That's my take.
1: I want it to get a $150 million budget.
2: Oh, Mark. (laughs) No, sorry.
1: I want Donald Glover to write it. I want Justin Lin from the Fast and Furious movies to direct it.
2: You're starting to sell me a little bit here.
1: I want a crossover. I mean, this is why we can't have nice things. This is a world where Donald Glover is Lando – and Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange are traveling the universe, getting trippy, probably gambling, doing weird stuff. You know, they 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 would cheat. They would know time. So they would know the cards and they would go back in time, they would win. They would just be like a hustling act. And maybe Doctor Strange had something happen to him, maybe he was kind of depressed, so then they're hanging out and it's like miss oh wait, it'd be like Mississippi grind with them gambling in outer space. But then they come across some dastardly stuff and then they got to save the day. And the Millennium Falcon
2: See, I go see that, and I don't get—I don't get what I call, well, not my term, but I don't get fan rage. Like when a new film is coming out, I feel like Solo was subject to some oh, yeah. fan before it ever came out. On I both moved. on both sides
1: right. of every yeah. side,
2: yeah, like lots of fan rage. Like I—I I think that this film would get a lot of fan rage. Like me, like don't get me wrong, I, I'm the guy who's like, yeah, I'm going to go see that. I am not going to miss that in theaters in case it's amazing and. It's probably going to be, have, have cool special effects or whatever, whether it gets $40 million like the first Deadpool or $340 million. But I fear a film like that actually getting made just because of our, the, our, our media environment and our, our raging fanfare. I,
1: I, during the opening crawl, Beck, like, listen, fans, we get it. We're crossing Marvel, Star Wars. You may feel like this is unnecessary and messes up the timeline. But this is a movie with Donald Glover and Benedict Cumberbatch running around in capes around the universe, gambling
2: and cheating people. Like this. With, with Doctor Strange, you can get around messing with the timeline. Yeah, that's right because he went. Back Although in that's time. the one—that's the one thing he's not supposed to do, though. But you yeah. can get around it. You yeah. can get around it.
1: Well, he yada yada the yada yada. Maybe he loses in a card game to Lando, and then they have to go back in time like it never happened. And then the end shots is them both and waking up in their own worlds.
2: That can be. I'll allow
1: it. You know what's crazy? Like, you know, like I, I'm a I'm a big Star Wars fan. I grew up with it. I read all the books when I was younger. I, you know, big fan of Star Wars. But I'm not like none of these Star Wars movies have enraged me. None of these Marvel movies have enraged me. And I know people have really, you know, with our culture. Growing up, you know, you you find something you love and and maybe these people, these fans, you know, grew up in this world. They immersed themselves in it because it was better than their current world. So they're deeply connected to it. But I don't know, man.
2: I want this movie. And the fanboys can get over themselves. It's an interesting idea. You know, I was actually going to apologize for taking this question way too seriously. But now I'm not because I I, take my money.
1: Why not?
2: (laughs) Take my money. Take my money.
1: (laughs) (laughs) If like, if, like, a Boba Fett Hawkeye movie happened or, like, a Black Widow and Chewbacca movie, I'd be like, yes! I mean, what about a Jabba the Hutt? And uh, I don't want no Jabba.
2: I, I like that you picked Black Widow and Chewbacca because she's the Beast Soother.
1: Yeah. Oh, I didn't even think about that. But I think
2: I think you subconsciously had to have been honing in on that. Like, yeah. that's uh, – because when you said that, I'm like, whoa, that was a good choice. <laughs> I Just – let me have it. Come on, guys. Disney
1: owns it. Make it happen. We're associate producers. Get over yourselves. All right, next question. You want to read this one?
2: Uh, sure. Um, this is from uh, a sister of a dear, uh, old friend of mine, Sarah from Huntsville, Alabama, asks. Random question. Why is Yoda super spry at age 870, but super old manish at 900 years old? Back injury. So back wait Mark could you give some context to anyone who didn't catch the 870 years old versus 900 years old Yeah so
1: 870 he's in Revenge of the Sith and he's battle, battling Emperor Palpatine he's doing triple backflips quadruple front flips he's having stuff thrown at him he probably falls 200 yards lands he lands on this really heavy thing he falls on a lot of stuff he's getting blown all over the place he has to use force lightning Actually, I'm writing a post now called five characters that look fatigued in a Star Wars movie. Cause all the Star <laughs> Wars fatigue. So I'm just going to show tired Star Wars characters, but all that work of his. I mean, that's hurt. That hurt his back. And you
2: saw Palpatine 30 years later. Palpatine was a spry guy too. And he, when well, he good. lost it all in one event, he went from regular, like 60 year old looking dude to. Decrepit, eighty-year-old-looking dude. After one overuse, like he, it's like he, he burned out his own batteries. That
1: fight wore them out. And also back, like all right. So John, I hurt my back when I was living in Korea. I was doing deadlifts and I hurt my back. Now in the back in the past, I used to have to hurt my back to hurt my back. Now I sneeze and I hurt my back. So Yoda got his <laughs> first major back injury from this, and now he's he's you know he's riding around on the back of Luke. In Empire Strikes Back. So Empire Strikes Back is when he's 900 years old, when he's training Luke. And he's super old. You know, he's hitting on stuff. He's bat- batting on droids. He's making nice little stew in his house with snakes all in it.
2: It's gross. So I think this that battle took a lot out of him, and he has a bad back. You know, I mean, you, you even look at, like, a retired football player. And I don't mean so much now. I mean more like 20 years ago when you retired, back when football players were playing well into their 40s and 50s sometimes. Well, not well into their fifties. You know, like they'd be playing to damn near fifty back in like you know nineteen eighty. Uh, and and you know like when they retired though, when they stopped working out all the time, training all the time, seeing a sports medicine doctor or orthopedist all the time, getting cortisone shots all the time, like a lot of those guys back then would just fall apart. Like they were, their bodies were done. It's almost like the adrenaline rush left after decades long of going, and then they were they were done. They're like and, and if you get a really, really bad shoulder injury and you're, like, over 30 or 35, that's going to haunt you forever in the gym. Like, there's so many people who just won't do presses anymore, like with a barbell, uh, you know, who are over the age of 40. And they're still big, strong guys. I think that's – I think Yoda's got beaten up, retired, like, athlete syndrome. And, and again, and there was that thing with the Emperor. He burned out his batteries. Yoda might have – when Yoda was doing those quadruple flips – When I was in the theater with my cousin Ryan, right, when we saw this, I was thinking, oh, dude, we get to see Yoda fight. But at the same time, I'm thinking, how the hell are they going to make little itty bitty Yoda look cool fighting? He has, like, no reach. He has a short lightsaber. And I really was thinking that, like, before it even started. It's like the world went in slow mo for me. And then all of a sudden it happened. I'm like, whoa! Like, it was so cool, right? It was just, it's like hearing firecrackers for the first time when you're six years old. It's the best thing ever. But that that that's got to take a lot out of him because he was willing to choose to walk on a cane for so much of his life, and then he let the cane fall. So like, j- just standing up straight uses the force for him. What is doing a quadruple flip eighteen times due to him? Exactly. It's a back. He he was back injury deadlifting is what it is.
1: <laughs> back injury deadlifting is what that is. And and I joke around about it. I say I'm like the best athlete on the basketball court for the first minute. <laughs> i believe it and then it, it all goes to hell <laughs> and everyone's like man this guy's good and then five minutes later i'm like "Sum me
2: out when i was 30 a bunch of kids uh on, on on the staff at this vacation place i go to challenged me and my cousins who were all give or take a couple years my age we're all about 30 though to like a game of ultimate frisbee and we're like yeah we got this and they're all like 22 And we go out there and we are like sprinting and they're like, oh yeah, whatever, old guys at this vacation spot. Five minutes in, man, like I start sprinting across when they're when they're when they're kicking off every point. I just I just I just stop. I'm like, no, I'll just wait for them to come back. Like I'm I'm just like bending over, panting with my hands on my knees. We are now fifteen minutes into the game. That's right. But the first five minutes, I thought it was the last five minutes of the Super Bowl. Like I was going hard.
1: Yes. But yeah, no, I was done. I was done. I was Yoda, done. Yoda went from spry 870
2: to old man at 90. I mean, when he did it, though, it was to save lives. It was, it, it, and by extension, maybe some galaxy saving. When I did it, it was to try and show up some kids at Ultimate Frisbee and ultimately get my ass kicked. <laughs> it's, it's about equal. <laughs> All right. Last, last
1: question here.
0: Uh-huh. Who's this uh, from?
1: Sean. And it is, how did Lady Proxima achieve power? She is a giant worm stuck in a small pool. Did she marry into the family business? So in the beginning of Solo, we meet Solo and uh, Kira, and they are under, they live under this water lady named Lady Proxima, and they basically have to give her all the money and blah blah blah. She's like a local gang boss. But she is a giant worm stuck in a small pool. Or do you think there's water
2: underneath where does she, what is, she, like, what does she do? I'm assuming there's, there's like a, a subterranean, like, cavernous water system, and she, like, she's not just submerging herself in water. That would just be lame.
1: Yeah, cause like, she'd just be sitting there staring at
2: you. Right. Yeah, it would be weird in that murky water, like, but. Who does her piercings? Dude. The... <laughs> so she, I, I really liked, um, this character, uh, not so, not so much by, by what she did or said. But just like, she was extra weird, right? We see so many of these very humanoid things. It's, it was like, a, it's it's a glorified version of Star Trek. Instead of races with bumps on their heads or different colors or different shaped skulls or ears, we have these different shapes, horns and these two-headed things in Star Wars, right? They really up the game for the different races. And and she comes out and she's this this weird like thing out of Greek mythology or the seven voyages of Sinbad, you know, like, and so I wonder though, like she was so weird. Like, was she, was she powerful? Because she had a weakness that I normally think of when I think of like a vampire, right? That sun sensitivity. But like, and everyone feared her though, other than that, right? Other than that, people were really like, how is she? So she must be, a physical menace. Otherwise, five of her goons could just take her out in a second, right, with their weapons. Do you think maybe she's she, indigenous to the planet? But vulnerable to its sun? like, because she's from the caves, maybe, or the subterranean water systems, like...
1: So she's been there forever, and this, over time? How do you, like, r- rally a outdoor group of thieves when you live in a cave system?
2: Henchmen influence and fear. What if, what if she's like a junior version, a really junior version of Kurt Russell's celestiality in Guardians of the Galaxy volume two? What if she is this really, really ancient being that predates most civilizations on this planet? Like maybe she's whatever, a thousand years old or two thousand years old or something, right? Or, or multiple thousands. And it's just like her knowledge and her influence has, has just reached out. So like such a deep web. I think that's what it's got to be like being the mistress of a thieves guild in a fantasy world. Ooh, you know, like Assassin's Creed, I've never played the game, but I understand that the game exists, right? Assassin's Creed, you have these like high level assassins, whatever these, these super this network of assassins. Someone's running that, right? That is no longer doing that, but that took, how long did it take to develop that network of assassins and that level of influence and all the political uh, inserts like these sleeper cells that you need to, to help work that influence? Like maybe she just is super old and patient. And by virtue of that, just that just that patience, it's like how wise a vampire could be after a thousand years. <laughs> like they're not making rookie mistakes anymore, even though Lestat did when they gave him that kid, that dead kid's blood an interview with the vampire. That was a stupid mistake.
1: <laughs> and she doesn't seem to be a lounger like the, the centuries-old
2: vampires. She seems like a doer. I mean, in terms of ordering people and delegating and, and, and like, staying on her iPad for, for her human resources, <laughs> her HR stuff. Because I think that she's just skulking around in her little, like, water caves.
1: Maybe there's other systems that she goes to. Maybe she has other things that she has that she swims around to.
2: That could be, yeah, like, that was just one of the pond openings of it. Like, maybe there's, like, 20 or 50 of them, and maybe there are some that no one else even knows about that are under buildings that she goes and slithers around in. She's weird. She's like a cross between a snake and the Alice in Wonderland caterpillar on Nightmare Fuel.
1: <laughs> I
2: like that she didn't fall for the thermal detonator. Right. Well, I mean, she, again, she's been around a while. She knows some things. And it was a rock, and she got hit with it instead. <laughs> that was a good. I've got good. a thermal detonator. That's not a thermal detonator. He's like, <laughs> "Shit, how'd you know?" <laughs> it's like, I, I, I'm sorry, Han, but like that was. Even if like that's a big room with a lot of a lot of low level goons, right? But like even if you fool ninety percent of the room, the people who are going to catch people are going to catch that. There were like a lot of people in that room. Yeah. The people who are going to catch it are the people who are your threats.
1: Yeah. I
2: just like, Like I like the gumption of it all. And it worked. It
1: worked in a very, no one saw that coming.
2: It was, I mean, it was a good, it was a good solo-esque bravado.
1: Like, you know, who throws a rock?
2: (laughs) Kids and it.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, then rocks have been very effective. Look at Monty Python. Look at Incredibles. Look at, Solo's just a long line of great rock throw. And I wrote a, I wrote a post about that. I wrote a post on Movies, Films, and Flicks about 13 (laughs) moments 13 moments the 13 best moments involving somebody throwing a rock was
2: mad max in it with feral kid i don't remember little rock throwing kid yeah that was years ago that you wrote that wasn't it
1: yeah that's been a good one for us because there aren't Ooh. many lists about people throwing rocks
2: we're almost a decade old
1: <laughs> oh yeah man eight jesus i will hey guys thank you so much for the questions and uh let's move on to solo
2: Let's get into some Solo, John. All right, man. How would you introduce Solo? Other than the obvious, for all of our listeners who know that this is basically our origin or prequel story for Harrison Ford's Han Solo.
1: It is the... Solo is basically, gives you almost everything you need to know about... Well, not everything. It kind of starts when he's about, what, 18? I think it's... I mean, 25? Yeah. No one... I don't quite know. But, well, because it, it was 30 years later when he met Leia, so he wasn't, like, 55 then.
2: Oh, God, okay, so I guess he'd have to be, like, 18, but that dude, the dude playing him.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so. so basically it just follows him, uh, and his he, in the beginning he has a girlfriend named Kira. They get split up. He joins the, um, jeez Louise, why can't I think of this?
2: He joins the Republic? It was, like, some flight thing
1: yeah well i can't <laughs> wait no the, the empire. the empire he joins the empire did they call it that Not did they
2: call yet. it that? but it, that's what it was yeah
1: so he joins them he becomes this soldier but then he meets up with woody harrelson he he meets chewbacca they join up for a heist they get in over their heads they have to make a, a really crazy they have to accomplish a crazy mission to pay off a crime lord and through the process we meet lando and we get to learn more about how han became han
2: and, and we're going to get callbacks to a lot of things that were mentioned that have all this fan that had fan fiction written about it that uh about you know the Kessel run all these things.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know it's crazy. So I've been reading about the easter eggs in this movie and vulture just wrote an article about how like how great the easter eggs are. And a lot of people have been mentioning the easter eggs and there's a scene in here where um Paul Bettany's character who is Dryden Voss, he's the kind of the the big bad in this. He offers a clawfish snack. And that's the big monster from Phantom Menace that was in the water. The clawfish? Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. Cute. And then, um, you know, they bring up Bosk, was the reptilian bounty hunter from Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. They have the whole, like, I hate you. He goes, I know. Thermal Detonator. They have the martial arts with the Terrace Kessie from, um... Whew, man, there was like a whole video game where characters use that. And they were talking about how that game happened. I mean, they like talk about Aurora Singh, who's a character from Phantom Menace*. There's so many tiny little Easter eggs, but I, I, none of them really felt invasive to me. And the interesting thing about this solo is, I think this is the movie that the fanboys who hated *Last Jedi* wanted. There's a lot of fan service. It's very Star Warsy. It doesn't kind of blow up. It kind of sticks to the formula like *Force Awakens* does. Uh, but no, no, I, it's just a fun little one-off. I, there not much is at stake. There's no Death Stars. There's a giant space alien, and that kind of felt refreshing to me, worlds not being destroyed.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, it was 18-ish-year-old Han finding his footing for greater things. And I don't know, so we kind of talked about this earlier, but
1: before we kind of jump into this, what were your overall thoughts about this movie?
2: So, well, okay, full disclosure, definitely my least favorite Star Wars movie. Um, I'm not... Like angry at it. There's no fan anger, but I, I found it Force Awakens was very formulaic to the point that it was a little annoying, but I still loved watching The Force Awakens. This movie, I, I, I didn't feel any urgency. I kind of felt bored. I, I, I just, I, I had a few moments. I had a few nice moments and, and I didn't feel like, uh, the chases or the action or the threats wherever threatening or exciting there were no highs for me um and and i don't know if that's a me thing i wasn't overly hyped um most of my friends have been sim have been similarly unimpressed but at the same time i don't want to give the impression that i'm recommending that anyone not see this movie because this is a star wars movie and some a lot of people are going to disagree with me mark you enjoyed this yeah uh, uh, right and so i i would i would say Everyone should go see this movie if you like Star Wars movies, because I don't want you to be the person who regrets not seeing this on a big screen. If you're the person for whom this movie is, I, I can just comfortably say this is the only Star Wars movie that just left me leaving the theater with nothing to say to the person I saw it with.
1: And I'm going to be honest, too. I think I started getting this movies back a little bit more than I needed to. I mean, it's a multimillion dollar movie. But it felt like there was a lot of hate about this movie, the behind, like about behind the scenes stories before it even came out.
2: And right, the, right, and and, and and I'm with you. Do you remember the articles that were about uh some of the test footage and people were hating on Alden's uh, oh, acting? No. Yeah. And 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 when I heard that, I'm like, whatever. I'm gonna go see the movie. I'm not listening to this nonsense. I'm not even gonna read the article. I heard that you know the inflammatory headline. And I just I walked away from it. Um, yeah,
1: I don't, I don't like that. And uh, I'm not like a tinfoil hat guy. I don't think I've ever been that, but you know me, man, I read movie sites every single day. Like I'm on, I'm reading every, I'm reading comments, I'm reading movie sites. And I, I I definitely notice patterns if you've noticed like my dumb data stuff. And I haven't seen that much like vitriol about a movie before it even came out in a very long time. You know, i you?
2: What's up? Could you reflect on what you I realize we're going years back, but what you may remember about like when The Force Awakens was coming out or when The Last Jedi was coming out or especially um, Rogue One? Like, I mean, I'm sure there were some things going around, but was it was it this level? No, nothing
1: like that. I mean, uh, Force Awakens, it was just a lot of buzz. People were really excited about it. Last Jedi, it was mostly just fan theories.
2: Do you think that this is because we have a beloved character that's owned by Harrison Ford, and now we're going to see someone else show us that character instead of a bunch of unrelated characters? Do you think it's linked to that?
1: I mean, I I think there is a certain amount of that into it, and I I don't know. I just – listen. When I first heard there was going to be a solo prequel, I was like, it's not needed. I I, I wasn't one way or the other. I wasn't – I didn't feel strongly – but then the two directors who joined on, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, the guys who put a lot of life in the 21 Jump Street and the Lego movies, joined on. Then you had Alden Ehrenreich, who I loved in Hail Caesar. You should watch any clips you can on YouTube of Hail Caesar with him in it. Brilliant. Then I heard Amelia Clark, Donald Glover. Uh, I heard Dandy Newton, who was hot off Westworld. Paul Bettany. Uh, also, the woman who played L3, what, 37, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, she just wrote and executive produced this amazing show called Killing Eve. Really talented. She did a show called Fleabag 2 that was really popular. Woody Harrelson. I mean, this had a cast of everybody that I liked, and so I felt really positive about it. But then you hear the news about mm-hmm. the, the directors being kicked off of the set. They got fired. I just think they probably got in over their heads. There was differences between what they wanted, what the studio wanted. I mean, Kathleen Kennedy let Ryan Johnson make Last Jedi, so I don't think she's that strict with how people make these movies. Ron Howard came on, uh, he came in, he was a total general, got the movie done, but then it was kind of weird, just, I was, I read a lot of reviews too, and the reviews for this movie, it's just like, everyone's nitpicking. There's a whole review in Vulture about how Han Solo is solo, but he's not solo enough in this movie. But his name's Han Solo because in this movie, he's by himself when he, Mm -hmm. goes to you know fight for the empire so he's not like a he's not a loner in this movie he has chewbacca he in in new hope he goes back to help people i mean this this is a guy who puts his neck on the line for other people and and you know he has some selfish moments but he's not like so that these articles i read about him it's like it was really felt like nitpicking and like solo wasn't solo enough like that doesn't really i I, I don't
2: i don't agree with that yeah that was
1: a whole article and i don't agree with that it was just weird of and like people are like it's totally fine. It's fun. That's it. I, it was just a very weird reaction to this movie. Uh, I think some of it is deserved. Uh, as much as I like Ron Howard, recently he's more of like a very, uh, I, I, you know, I, I think he's a still very competent. You could, he could lead a blockbuster, but he's, you know, lately he's been kind of like A, B, C, D, and that's the way this movie kind of is. But it's weird how people didn't watch it because they didn't want a solo prequel and then there's people who didn't watch it because they're boycotting they're still boycotting last jedi very small minority but they're very loud on the internet and then it's just people who my cousin told me he went to go watch it and a woman got mad at her husband because she's like i thought you said harrison ford was going to be in this like it's a what yeah people don't really know what this movie is
2: and i see that conversation too it's like honey let's go see the solo movie what's that solo han solo harrison ford from the star wars movies that's probably what he said yeah and so, so i understand it
1: and it's just, uh, listen, I-, I wouldn't give this movie an A. I-, I-, I wouldn't put it above the originals. I wouldn't put it above Rogue One. I wouldn't put it above Last Jedi. I think I have it above the prequels, and I have it above Force Awakens. And you know what's crazy? I like all of them. So it's weird for me, like, like, rating all these movies, because as much as people hate the prequels, I think there are moments of true brilliance. I think there's some really beautiful things in them. Force Awakens it's weird. I kind of dislike it until I watch it again. Then I have a lot of fun with it. But every time I rewatch it, I'm like, I've seen this movie before. Uh, but I, I don't know. I, I, I had fun. I walked out of the theater with a smile on my face, you know, make my wife and I weren't discussing it for hours after it was done. But you know, I, I dug it when I was in there and I appreciated the story.
2: Like I, I- Again, so I, I said this was my least favorite Star Wars movie. I'm very comfortable saying that, by the way. But at the same time, if I gave this a letter grade or a number score out of 100, it wouldn't be the lowest. It would be above probably any of the prequel trilogy, episodes one through three. However, the highs in each movie of episodes one through three were so much higher and so much more numerous for me that I forgive it. Phantom Menace, in my opinion, it, it's a terrible mo- – I'm not trying to get pe- – boy, people are going to get angry. It's a terrible movie to me, but it's it's a, it's a wonderfully fun flick. It's got the pod race. It's got meeting all those sea monsters. It's got the Darth Maul fight. It's got all these super highs. I mean super highs, right, that, that I like it more than Solo. But Solo is a better film. Yeah, and It's just that Solo has not won high for me, for me.
1: Yeah. And you know what's interesting is like, um, my wife was talking to some of her coworkers and they're like, Oh yeah, it didn't make much money. So it's not good. And John Lazavath of this podcast, he sent me a message. He's like, So when does not making a lot of money mean a movie's bad? Like that's like the consensus around this. Let's
2: look, let's look at, let's look at the
1: historical Oscar winners
2: and Oscar nominees. Yeah. So Big Lebowski sucks. You know, like it's, um, how much money did Lovie and Rose? Yeah, make? yeah,
1: exactly. So <laughs> it's just like, but I've, I'm hearing these really kind of weird arguments. People don't quite know what it is. And listen, like I said, I'll give it a, I'll give it a B. I give it a B, B minus. I don't know, but I'd still give it a fresh score if I was writing a review for it because it's not a bad movie. But like you said in Phantom Menace, there's a scene where Qui Gon Jinn's like straight up resting while Darth is staring at him. There's no woe moments like that. Uh, there's no woe moments like in revenge of the sith
2: with yoda or i don't think attack of the clones has any woe moments you know my big i'll save it because we're going to end up getting to it but i had one woe moment and the woe was actually an anticipation of a woe that didn't happen
1: interesting <laughs> i mean no, I don't know, but we're, actually we're gonna get to it i did have a woe moment in this movie uh i'm gonna say it because it's a spoiler thing darth maul i was so happy um just seeing Darth Maul pop up. And this is, this also crowds my, and I don't want to keep bringing up my past working in film, but we've talked about it before. We were comic cons and I don't want to say much about Ray Park, but he was definitely kind of, I don't know, drinking a little bit more back then. And so he wasn't doing too much. And then he kind of like, now if you see him on Instagram, he's like really all about training, like getting like everything back in a row. He was in the accident man with Scott Atkins. He's like really moving forward. So to see a really nice guy too, Ray Park's like the nicest dude. I don't know. Oh, if sweetest ever, fellow, yeah, yeah. Really nice dude. So when I saw him, I was like, yeah, like, I was I was uh, happy for Ray. Like, he would know me in a crowd, but I was happy for him. <laughs>
2: I, I was excited when he came on screen, but I wasn't excited with everything that transpired the moment after he came on screen. Yeah.
1: I mean, I just – I didn't know he got cu- – I guess it's in the comics where he got cut in half and then he gets metal legs back. Or no, the TV – the cartoons. And then he becomes a crime lord. But like I said, I think I wasn't so happy about Darth Maul. I was just happy for Ray Park.
2: Sure. Yeah. Because that dialogue – was just, like, written by a 13-year-old, in my opinion. It was just so, well, we're going to be spending a lot of time together. You Basically, it was like, I'm going to be training you to do things. It, it, I don't know. I, I realized that there's also the intended audience, and we want this to capture a lot of people, but that was one of those things that didn't, that, that scene could have been very easy, in my opinion, to make it work, but maybe to make it work for me, it would have alienated too much of a general audience, or, or maybe it wouldn't. <clears throat> but I like seeing him on screen. I like I like that his character was included.
1: Yeah, and I just was so happy about that. And then also with this movie, I think it might have some of the best costume design of any of the Star Wars films. Just between Lando, I thought um, Amelia Clark a, as Kira. That's an
2: interesting statement. I'm reflecting on that now. I gotta think about that when I like, see it again.
1: When you see Kira, her outfits like they're like perfectly tailored for her. Like that uh, the what the black dress that she's in in the beginning. Then you have Lando with his awesome capes and, like, his whole get-up. You have uh, Woody, Tandy Newton, Alden Ehrenreich, you know, the different people, the different costumes. I also thought this had the best creature design since the originals. I mean, the prequels were mostly CGI, and I, right. have, I have not liked any – I mean, I Rogue One maybe has a couple cool moments. I, actually, I love Rogue One, that little guy that's shooting on the Gatling gun, and then that's pretty good. But I don't think, you know, in Last Jedi, that casino scene or the – the scene where we meet uh Ma- matt maz in in force awakens i don't i, I wasn't impressed with any of that creature design oh no, yeah it. i
2: agree but I in agree. this
1: movie there's a couple creatures in here that i'm like wow this is the 1970s again
2: like, Yep, i'll like, give them that like yeah. a
1: lot of, and so i'm gonna start like kevin smith says like when he watches watches these movies he's like there's just some things i want to see that make the movie worth it for me so like you know he's talking about justice league and he didn't love it but he's like there's things that happen in it that i loved and made it worth it for me. And so this movie, seeing these, like, like, badass costumes, like, really great costume design, seeing really neat monsters, like, there's some cool monsters, and, I don't know, all that just made me happy, and it just made me, it took me back to my favorites, which are the, you know, the 1970s, with four, five, and six, and, well, 83, for uh, Return of the Jedi, but, I don't know, that's my, we're not really talking about the point, plot, we're talking about everything around it, but, I think it had a lot of positives to go with this movie.
2: Sure. I mean, are are we going to jump in?
1: Yeah. So uh, how'd you feel specifically about Solo? I like, I like Aaron. You know, what's interesting is I like Al Narenreich a lot, but I think he was overly directed in this movie. I think he just had people. I think he's a really good actor and I think he's a natural performer. Once again, go back and watch Hail Caesar. He, the dude is relaxed next to Josh Brolin. He's relaxed next to George Clooney. The kid can hold the screen. But in this one, it seemed like his performance was just overly guided. I felt overly directed. And I still liked him. And as he got more comfortable, I think towards I, – I, you could see where everything was reshot. You could see scenes where he was more comfortable than, than others. But I think it was an overly directed performance to me. It didn't feel overly natural, but I still liked it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, most of the time I just thought that he was there for the line delivery, but a lot of his looks, like when he would walk into a room and just look around or react to something, I, I, I think he captured the, the Han Solo look and feel. It's just, yeah, when he would start to speak, when it got to line delivery, and I'm not saying, boy, when people were talking about his accent or something. I didn't even notice if that, if people were bitching about that, I didn't even notice this. But um, but like I, when it got to line delivery, that's that's where I was just like, oh, OK, well, it it, it fell a little flat for me. But yeah. but all of his his movement when he wasn't speaking and I'm not trying to make that sound like, oh, he's good when he's not speaking and thus he's a bad actor. No, I don't mean that. When he was just walking around being Han Solo, though, that looked like a young Han Solo to me.
1: No, I, I really liked it. I get what you're saying. It's just it was weird. I need to watch it again because it just felt overly directed to me. I don't know. I think this is gonna be a great movie on Blu-ray, actually, just to kind of pop on in the background and and do that. But no, I, I, once he once he was, I think you're right. When he was allowed to kind of react
2: and he walk had hundred percent. This is my biggest compliment I'll give to the film, actually, because again, I, I was very ho-hum on it. But he captured one hundred percent of what I would have wanted to see for the look and the feel of Han Solo. He just didn't have the sound of him, and and I don't mean his voice. It's just yeah, the lines in yeah, so the situations what well, we meet him
1: in the beginning right he has uh kira then we meet lady proxima that all goes wrong they escape they go to this what um like a airport right and they get separated mm-hmm. and uh what do you think about him and uh, kira they didn't have much time to actually develop a relationship but i think they worked a lot of people are like they had no chemistry but i'm like how do you develop chemistry in in three seconds of screen time
2: well uh, I, I think they're the criticism is that they should have had more than what little screen time they had yeah. for us to care. Or maybe there were things that were cut. I don't even know because, again, we had a director swap. Uh, who knows what happened to the editing? But at the same time, when they were being separated, it's like I-, I believed that moment. I believed that scene. I believed that urgency. It's just that I didn't believe how we got there. Yeah. Oh, like the the whole the the whole, the whole chase scene and all that, or just the two of them. No, no. I mean, I mean, how it's like they delivered that emotional stress. Well, I just didn't believe how the film got me to that moment. Like you said, they only had so long to get us there. I, I would have liked a little more. Hell, one more scene, one more three minute scene. Maybe and maybe there was a great one that showed a little more of a, a graduation and emotional step. But again, that scene worked for me. Uh, witnessing them being separated worked for me. It's just that in the synthesis of the, of the scenes before it, it didn't, didn't fit as well. This is my, this is my steady criticism for most of this film is that, uh, a lot of things were done well and a lot of performances worked, but they didn't fit for me. And then,
1: so this leads us into Solo jo- joining the empire. He wants to become a pilot. He fails out and he gets, he becomes a soldier on this planet called uh, Mimbia, and he's hack-
2: he's hacksaw ridging. Yeah, he's
1: hacksaw ridging, <laughs> and actually a battle scene that's almost reminiscent of the cool Attack the Attack of the Clones moments when the stormtroopers are walking through all the dust and
2: mm-hmm. kind of like
1: blasting all the robots. That was a wild moment in Attack of the Clones, but um, I mean that's crazy. That was a oh, that's like a
2: planet where everyone just dies. Yep, and, and good scene too. A good scene. It it, it gave. So much of the Star Wars movies' battle scenes come down to 89 lasers that never hit anything. And in this, people are getting shot left and right, and it's chaos.
1: And he's alive in it. And so that way, I'm like, okay, that establishes him as a—he's probably a pretty good fighter. He knows how to shoot a gun. He's been okay. involved in this. And so you're like, oh, okay, cool.
2: And then yeah, he, and, and,
1: okay. and he comes across
2: <laughs> good, old, good old Woody. <laughs> Yeah, good old. What was character's name? Um, I don't remember a lot of character names. So he comes
1: here. across a uh, Beckett, and then he Beck? also meets Val, played by Tandy New- Thandy Newton. And then Rio Durant, who's John Favreau, the voice by John Favreau, the four eyed. I don't know. He's like a chimpanzee. No, he's like a. I don't know what he is, but he's adorable.
2: He, he, he's like a four armed male Mav. And he's, he seems like he'd be like Mav's husband. I liked him a lot. I thought he was really. Oh, yeah, you're right he was cute he gave a lot of heart um i felt like a cartoon character was just thrust on the screen not not the effects but just the nature of him yeah,
1: and and so what woody and them ditch him he gets kidnapped like he wants to join up with woody because they're imposters so they're just trying to steal a ship from this planet uh mimbia so they can do, go to a job they turn on han han gets thrown into a pit with a monster and it turns out to be chewbacca and they have a they have a funny fight that wipes out two stormtroopers and then uh, they get off this terrible – you know what's – that? That that's a bold decision to shoot in all that mud, John. That's not easy. They made a decision to shoot on a mud planet. So <laughs> if I made a movie, I would not shoot – I would shoot in Hawaii on a not mud planet in a hotel. On a not mud planet? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so then eventually they, they they escape. They go find the ship. Woody Harrelson's like, ah, whatever. We'll take him on. He's a young rogue. I was a young rogue once. They put him on the ship, and they go to rob some coaxium from like a mountain planet on a train that was built by incredible architects. That swings around, and the plan goes wrong in a cool scene. But then, Thandi Newton, Thandi Newton gets killed, Val gets killed, and Rio get killed. What do you think about that that chase scene? And Emphy's is like the pirate and his crew who attacks this. Uh, this well, first this off, that,
2: so when when I first saw that train. That was my biggest wow moment was when I saw that train. That train that basically had it's like the cars were on both sides top and bottom of the track and so it would go around a mountain it would turn almost sideways and it would rotate and it was almost like like what you would imagine as a roller coaster if you mirrored the roller coaster onto the other side of the track. And uh so when I saw that I'm thinking, "Oh, this is so cool." I'm thinking of uh I'm thinking of things like Snowpiercer, right? I'm thinking of cool train scenes. I think I'm uh, once the action started, I was totally taken out of it. Uh, not gonna lie, but but it looked so cool. It was so promising. Just the idea of that train, instead of it just being a train, if you will, right? I, I love that train. It's an awesome train. And then those the bad guys on like their their hover things were kind of neat. These kind of uh they, they just struck me as like, you know mountain uh kind of like badlands pirates um they were neat again didn't care for the action at all i just Um, i thought it looked
1: great uh the look yeah i don't think i was ever thrilled by it but just the fact that they kind of thought of that idea that they had that i was i was very pleased with it but i mean i was pretty uh, i was pretty wowed that it killed like uh val and rio were murdered almost immediately i was like holy crap like, that was, like, it, it killed people off pretty quick.
2: So, that, like, the Val character, for example, like, I thought that she did all of her scenes very well. Tandy Newton. I thought that she did all of her scenes very well. But her character didn't fit for me.
1: Yeah, I mean, she didn't have enough screen time to really see much
2: yeah, anything. So when she died, it was, like, a momentary shock. But I didn't really have, that. like, I was literally shocked. But I didn't have the emotional response that I should have had. For all the passion that she poured into her scenes and all the the pragmatic roguishness when she was like, yeah, leave him. You know, we don't need this guy. Don't trust him. Like, you know, she was all, she was all in and and I we should have gotten just to, again. This is another time where I'm going to say it and I'm not trying to say it like you wave a Harry Potter wand or anything like it's easy. But give her a, a three minute scene talking to Beckett. Give me another three minute scene or something, because for some reason it just wasn't enough for me. I, that's just it. I feel like none of the characters got enough time. Yeah, they kind of killed her, then never talked about her again. Yeah, it, and Beckett later is like, yeah, I lost my whole crew. And, and, and I don't even feel that badly about it. And I should. Because they did a good job when they were on screen. This is, this is like my, my, my mixed baggedness. Again, I think this is a better film than the prequels, but, um, I just didn't – I never got excited. I never got Star wars
1: What did you uh, think about the cinematography by Bradford Young? He's the guy who did Arrival.
2: It was very – it was consistently very good and almost never great. Oh, man. I thought there were some great shots in there. <laughs> You know, you know, you know, I'm gonna uh, let me preface it. If I'm not thrilled with what's happening on the screen, it might be harder to appreciate what's happening in the back of it.
1: Yeah, I guess that's what I look at because this Bradford Young guy, he shot like Selma, Most Violent Year. He shot uh, Arrival. So I was like, a couple of the shots, like you know, the action scenes, the poker shot. I, I just love the way they, they filmed a lot of that stuff. But also in these movies, when there's 250 million dollar movies, you don't really have time to have the Blade Runner shots because you know Blade Runner was made specifically in a studio to accomplish the shots that they got like everything was tailored almost around the looks so this movie you didn't have time to you know get that beautiful shot so i guess some of it is workmanlike but i think it's it's slightly elevated over over most movies around that budget like i think you know i think the cinematography was a little bit better than maybe Avengers or or something like that but
2: i i see what oh, you're saying oh i'll very comfortably give you that yeah, yeah. So, I'm very comfortable giving you that.
1: I mean, there was—I think there was a style to it. They captured a pretty good aesthetic, which I don't know. Even in movies nowadays, it's kind of hard to look unique. So I thought they well, yeah, nailed that.
2: I'm not saying anything bad. It, it was consistently very good, except yeah. I never noticed it. Got it. Were you? But uh... that might also be because when I go in to watch something, I go in to watch a movie, and I think you go in to watch a film. It, just the things that we look for, the things that we see, the things that. You and I catch, uh, primarily, you know, like you're used to catching, uh, the filmmaking aspects. You're used to looking for the cinematography. I'm used to reacting to the cinematography. Got it. Um, so uh, that, I think, I think there's a lot of that at play too. I don't want people to think that we're just like, you know, 50 50. It's just that I, I'm not noticed. I don't notice this stuff as much if I'm not in the film. And I think that you probably notice things, these things better so- than me. So, John,
1: they lost the coaxium. Where'd they go next?
2: <laughs> well, I think they got to ask uh, the computer where the next beryllium sphere is. <laughs> <laughs> Sigourney Weaver, are you there? <laughs> so,
1: so what, what'd you think about uh, Paul Bettany, the in, like the reintroduction of Kira, that kind of, you know, we were talking about the singer in the glass jar. What'd you think about that whole gangster planet? Or not, ga- like, what do you think about, like, a faction of gangsters? The Crimson Dawn?
2: All cool stuff. All didn't get enough development. Just, I'm repeating the same criticism. on broken record. I thought that Paul Bettany, though, in his role, owned his menace. I always believed his ruthless menace. And he wanted you to do well by him so that he could reward you and not hurt you and treat you kindly. But I always believed how dangerous he was, whether it was to Solo or to Kira. And I believed Kira's fear of him and I believed how much he cared about her and I believed that he'd kill her all at the same time. So all that worked, right? All that screen presence was there. I just, I, I, I wish I had a little more, but, um, but I believed it. That was one of the better long-term on-screen dynamics, I think, of the film.
1: And I I like how it opened up this weird world of, you know, you have Jabba, you have Dryden Voss, you have the Crimson Dawn, you have these crime syndicates across the galaxy. Like that's cool, and they all work for somebody. So it's like it's you have these powerful guys, but they all answer to somebody. I don't know, like he's like Dryden Voss wasn't a middle manager, but he was kind of a middle manager, so you could see the stress on him to get things done, but he also had the liberty to kind of do things. And I like that point you made. Like he didn't want to. Like he's not the guy. Oh, you failed me once, you're dead. It was like, hey, you failed me once. How are you gonna make it up to me? Like he would kill yep. him eventually. But I like that he was just like, oh, you got a plan to do something else. Okay, let's try it. What do I have to lose?
2: I, yeah, he, he he's he's a CEO, and if you fail him twice, the company the company might collapse if he gives you too much trust. But he he wants you to work well with him because he doesn't want to have to do all the work. So like,
1: yeah, let's say you accomplish four successful tasks, right? Then you fail one. Then you accomplish three successful sexual tasks, then you fail one. Would he kill you or let you go I, on? I remorse? think you're
2: still in good graces because because he was letting someone fail one and give give them another chance when when they had never done anything for him. So they were O and O, and then they failed him, and he gave them another chance. Yeah. So I mean, if you were like if you had a batting net, you know,
1: if you were like s- seven were out of ten, if you're seven out of ten, he'd be like, I like
2: you. Like you're. you're... I think I think he's gonna trust you until you're under six hundred. Yeah. <laughs> I'm serious. I, I, I he might trust you until you're under four hundred, depending on what your hits are. He yeah, he really wanted to and and I believe that you know he has an ongoing kind of concubine forced relationship with Kira as well. I think we're supposed to think that, but and I think that he wants them to have a happy whatever relationship that they have for a decade. But at the same time, I believed that if this failed a couple times, that he'd just kill her.
1: And, and you know what I liked about the Kira character is there's a lot more to her than she lets people know. It's I don't think it's like a convenience, like, oh, we're gonna, just going to show you things at convenience. Like, she's holding stuff back.
2: Like, she's playing a game. Oh, the movie ended, and I think that there were a lot of things that she clearly didn't reveal. Yeah, and we don't know what—we never really heard anything— about what happened between Han Solo getting separated from her at basically that airport and them at the end of the movie. Yep. And he I, only knows what he witnessed about their dynamic while they were there. She never told him anything and she just revealed – she kind of said something like, you don't want to know. Like, that's it. So she's like, I'm not telling you anything.
1: Uh, like, yeah. Uh, she. Uh, I mean, he probably doesn't want to know. And – I like that there's a there's definitely a world weariness to her character that I thought was a good performance in that that she like sometimes when she smiled like when Han was being a little naive, I mean this guy's been in the the mud and he's probably killed some people you know he's seen some things he grew up rough, but she had it a lot worse than he did in those years, so when he'd make some sweeping gestures, she would just give him like a sad smile and I thought mm-hmm. I saw that a lot in her performance and I like Amelia Clark a lot. She's, I think she's good, and but I've never seen this kind of performance from her before.
2: Well, and I, I well, liked it a lot. In Game of Thrones, I think that she covers this and more.
1: Well, in the later seasons, she's become the Queen of Dragons, so she just kind of right. monologues, "This is what we're doing." Like, there's not many, like, you know, like she's she's been beaten down, and like in in Game of Thrones, she became like the Queen of of or the Queen of Dragons, and I mean, she's definitely been in it. She's definitely been in the shit. But she's much more like, I'm the, I'm the queen. I'm the motherfucker. <laughs> you know, like I'm, you know, don't mess with me. So I, I, I think I, I see what you're saying with that. She, there's more to, the, there's more to her than people know. But I guess there was like a different her, that side in solo that I liked. So I don't know. I thought, I thought her performance was, was really solid as well.
2: I have few criticisms of performances. It's really just all context yeah like i i thought she was very good i thought uh paul bettany was very good uh like most of the people were very good
1: yeah hey so how about this let's uh watch the movie again let's rank all the
2: performances i'm gonna go find a beryllium sphere computer is there another beryllium sphere in the galaxy (laughs) yes
1: john all right we'll be back welcome back to movies films and flicks we didn't watch solo but we watched deep blue sea again and i can't put a best and worst performance because i love that movie so much i can't say someone was the best i can't say someone was the worst so i'm leaving one blank and i'm leaving 10 blank and then i'm doing two through nine and i'm putting all the actors in there in no order
2: i think yellow cool j was the best
1: I mean Sam Jackson nailed his monologue. Thomas Jane did a great job. Saffron Burroughs did good. Uh I thought Michael Rappaport was Michael Rappaport.
2: My my top five picks are L. Cool J. Picks number six through eight are his parrot. <laughs> and nine and, and nine and ten are the CGI sharks. That parrot was really good. <laughs> Which was CGI at one point, I think, at the end when it got eaten. Or oh I know, I guess it was a real parrot eaten by a CGI shark. Yeah, they have a. It's on the commentary. That sh, that parrot was a pain in the ass. Gave a great performance. Great. I mean, Oscar <laughs> worthy.
1: All right, so uh let's get back to the questions. And our first one is from Sean, and he says, "Does a giant squid just live in space? Does it eat or drink?" And there is a scene where Han and crew are fleeing from a mining planet, and they have to take a shortcut. But in this shortcut is a. What do you think? How big is this? Like Godzilla? Like bigger than Godzilla?
2: Bigger than Godzilla. Yeah. <laughs> A lot, bigger than God- A lot bigger than Godzilla. I feel like its diameter was Godzilla's height. Do you think like eight Godzillas with tentacles? Eight Godzillas plus tentacles. So really like 12 or 13 Godzillas. Yeah. And I mean, what does it eat? So Galactus was eaten worlds. This thing isn't quite in world eating size, right? But, uh, I mean, Asteroids. Do you think that something like this like hunts every hundred or every thousand years or something or every ten years or every year? Does it go around hunting or does it just stay there forever? Because people seem to just know that it was there.
1: Yeah. I was what I was watching Blue Planet the second season, and there are these sharks that live on the bottom of the ocean. I forget the name, but they can get up to about twenty feet. Massive. And this whale whale fall came down and they just munched on a whale and they're like, they can live for months and
2: months off of what they just ate
1: so maybe so, it's like a deep water
2: creature that just can so eat. that's so that's incidental right so every now and then it eats a very large amount like an anaconda but without hunting it's just taking what stumbled across it right
1: but what nutrients can it get from a spaceship
2: well, but again, we're, we're just going – like we don't know what else is out there in space.
1: Space plankton?
2: We also don't or, – or, or we also don't know if it's carbon-based because the xenomorphs were silicon-based.
1: Interesting.
2: Maybe it can benefit from eating like all those wires and rubber and rubber hoses and metal and, and get a few humans in there. But like I mean – so this thing is basically a space sarlacc. Yeah. This thing is a space sarlacc and and when i think of a sarlacc i think of this thing in the ground that really eats significant amounts of food very very rarely right like every now and then something that's 50 feet long falls in it right that's cuz luke skywalker getting pushed into it or boba fett falling into it that's not really feeding a sarlacc that's like having a gummy bear a sunflower seed right right but i mean this thing but again so I, now i'm left to wonder do these things hunt or every now and then do they get a good payday when something big falls into it. And if they hunt every now and then, is this like a space tremor? Because, like, the tremors didn't exist in human history. And then they just appeared in perfection. Yeah. Right? Like, but where were they before that? People were there for so long. Then they just suddenly appeared. Like, did they just suddenly, like, after a good rain, like, those frogs in Africa, like, come back to life and go out to eat? Is that what this thing... There are so many weird ways that this thing could be behaving... Maybe everyone knew where it was because it was there for the last 20 years. But maybe in a year, it'll go out hunting for like a week, a month, a year, and eat everything it needs to for a while. And then it burns like no calories, right? It's just floating in space. It's not even like laying down. You yeah. burn like no calories. You just sit there and, and have your fat stores.
1: And I researched this, and there's nothing in Wikipedia or anything about it. It's a totally new monster
2: wookie i
1: i think it eats space plankton <laughs> and catches the occasional fr- frigate that gets lost
2: <laughs> could be I, I i suspect an occasional per- i think that it it's it, it stagnant life is a space sarlacc and that every now and then it goes on a generational hunt like a tremor wait and, it,
1: and a sarlacc is basically a giant tremor sarlaccs can travel across space so maybe this was a sarlacc
2: dude do you think the tremors traveled across space to land in perfection wouldn't they squish wouldn't a sarlacc squish i mean they they said sarlaccs can do travel i i think that's because the people who wrote that down didn't understand gravity and entering atmospheres
1: if a, a tremor would just be a flying squish bomb
2: but so would a, so would a,
1: a Sarlacc. They yada, yada, yada that. <laughs> they have very
2: large parachutes. May, oh, you know, so they're big mouth. They come mouth first. Yep. And it catches, it catches air light, and it, it has a very expansive skin, exoskeleton. And it just expands like a parachute.
1: Like a flying squirrel.
2: It come, it, it just comes down into the atmosphere Wait. like a dandelion seed.
1: Maybe in those tentacles, when it opens up, it, like, spreads all its tentacles. There's some webbing in there that it can do. And then it kind of, like, you know, glides down.
2: And, and somehow it's not burning up through the atmosphere. Uh, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> yada, yada, yada. Right. I still like this, though. I, I I didn't know that, that the Sarlaccs were... Susp- maybe they have some kind of spore. Instead of, like, reproducing sexually, maybe they reproduce with some kind of a spore, and the spore can survive this... Oh they, they do come as What if Sarlax what if Sarlax mated? And they lay eggs and the leg, the eggs are dormant until they experience high heat when in like 10,000 years or a hundred thousand years or more, that planet gets hit by an asteroid and fragments, and then the eggs are with that asteroid. and eventually those asteroids, those meteors or whatever, go hit another planet's surface with the eggs. Maybe that's how they get from planet to planet. Boom! done. Done, done, done. Mind blown. It's a good question. Yeah, I love it. About that giant squid. You know, that giant squid also reminds me of, like, the giant squid from the movie Altitude. Did you ever see that? No, I saw your review for it. Th- that was, like, a squid that was, like, I don't know, 500 feet long that flew. It made no sense. <laughs> I, me- I remember... It was, like... I was, like, I'm not going to watch this. It was, it's something from, like... It's like they were going on something from an HP Lovecraft book, and then they just had it flying in the air, chasing a 727. How do? You, how would that squid fly? It, it didn't. It just. It was when you saw the shots, it was like they are flying in an airplane going three or four hundred miles an hour, and they just like look out the back of it, and it's consistently right behind them the same distance, but it's just like a squid, with its head pointed up. Not towards them or away from them, but up. And so it's like, it's just sitting there like it would be hovering in the water, moving 300 miles an hour after them. Jeez ways. Altitude people. It's actually a fun movie to watch with a couple beers, but not a good movie if you want to see a good movie. (laughs) (laughs) I own it.
1: (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. Looks like it's time for a Johnny Numb mailbag.
2: I think that he's trying to break his own standing record for most verbose submission. I like this one. (laughs) Yeah, uh, yeah, go for it. Yeah. All right. So Johnny Numb from the Crash Palace, uh, The Last Knock podcast writes, possibly pretentious, definitely convoluted listener question. If my assessment of certain things, that is, Disney-Marvel mergers seem misinformed, feel free to discard. No, Johnny, we're going to take this one. So Johnny writes, Star Wars was never a big part of my formative years, which is perhaps why I look at these recent installments, The Force Awakens Onward, as simple entertainments designed to kill a few hours. I'm not sure if either of you guys, or where either of you guys fall on the what Star Wars means to me spectrum, but do you feel that the accelerated production and release of these, of these films in the current Star Wars cycle runs the risk of demystifying and exhausting the epic feel of the tale, especially when these releases, to a certain extent, rely on familiar characters and pre-existing mythologies to ingratiate fans to these new stories furthermore do you feel the disney marvel merger runs the risk of making the star wars and marvel cinematic universes indistinguishable from one another i have to admit when i watched the trailer for solo i would have mistaken it for guardians of the galaxy volume three if it had not featured chewbacca in the co-pilot seat thanks there's a
1: lot here to react to all right so let's knock out the first question here um do you feel that the accelerated production releases of the films in this current Star Wars cycle runs the risk of demystifying, exhausting the epic feel of the tale, especially when these releases, to a certain extent, rely on familiar characters and pre existing mythologies to ingratiate fantasy's new stories? I mean, I, the world's always been... My world's always been inundated with Star Wars. Uh, I think fans have been... I don't know. That's been part of their lives for a long time. And I mean the original prequels like everyone said they hated those and the, and when force awakens came out everyone was ready to see it again
2: mm-hmm.
1: i mean i do think there there could be some oversaturation but i think if you make good movies i mean look at marvel right now they just released thor black panther and avengers and ant-man in less than a year and they all made tons of money and were very popular so i don't i don't know i i think for me, I love Star Wars, but I, I, I just enjoy the films as simple entertainment as well. Like, if I see something that's not correct in the timeline, I'm not going to be angry about it. But, uh I don't know. I don't, I don't mind demystifying it. Like, I don't I don't really have that mythology to me right now. I don't know if anything could be demystified or
2: exhausted. Yeah, I, I, yeah I, I agree. I don't think we are demystifying it. I mean – I'm not a fan of this solo movie, but you know what? That doesn't mean I'm demystified. It means I happen to not be thrilled with this particular movie. I've been pretty thrilled with all the others, especially the new ones, the force awakens, the last Jedi rogue one. Um, so, and, I, and I find myself just waiting for the next movie cause I know one's coming out next year and I'm excited. Uh, I was really excited for this to come out. Um, and I don't think that my reactions were at all numbed for Episodes 7, 8, or Rogue One. Uh, I had a blast with them. Um, I had a lot of anticipation, and then I had a blast with them. So, and, but and again, so for both of us, Star Wars was a part of our childhood. It, apparently, it wasn't for Johnny, which is interesting to me. I'm kind of shocked by that. I mean, I think some people are
1: going to be, I, 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 some people are feeling demystified it's kind of weird, though, how people complain about Force Awakens being too much of the same. Then they complained about Last Jedi changing too many things. So it seems like Star Wars just means a lot of different things to different people.
2: And they're just very vocal about it because it's Star Wars. Um, I mean, we had the original trilogy, the episodes four through six. And then we had nothing for 16 years. And that gave a whole generation of time to become an expert on those three films. And then we started releasing more films. And, and I think that that's where it is. It, and I'm not even calling people like, you know, fan raging, you know, haters of new material I, or that they're not being overly developed to the old material. I, I just think it's that we had almost 20 years to master even, even Return of the Jedi. It was, uh, that, yeah, it was a 16 year gap to 1999. Um, we had so long, we had seen them so many times. Uh people were talking about them all our lives before and after we saw them. And then these new movies come out. And they're being made for general audiences today. And it's a totally different feel. It's a totally different style. I and, and I, I think that's what's I think that's a lot of what's going on. Um, whether you're a devout diehard Star Wars fan or not. Uh, I think that's what it is. I think it's just we're, we're people being people, and we are we are we are fragile and we are sensitive, and we choose and and we choose things that we're really passionate about, and we choose things that we're not so passionate about. And it, it, sometimes it's a, is it's as easy as is it going to rain tomorrow? Where we're going to fall on a particular topic? And Star Wars is one of those topics. It's just that Star Wars happens to be a multi-billion-dollar industry topic, so it gets. A wave of opinions just, you know, flooding the internet. I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of soapbox rambling here. I, I feel like I just did a Will Ferrell old school. What? what am I speaking nonsense? What do you think? I no, mean, what, how I, do you feel? I,
1: I think you summed it up. I mean, people have been living this with this for years, and people are very passionate about it. So, I mean, people, you know, were worried about their world, so they immerse themselves in a Star Wars world. So, of course, people are going to be passionate about changing what they love. And then there's going to be other people in this generation that maybe want something new. So all these fans are going to clash. And for me, though, what I'm really excited about is, I mean, you got David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, the Game of Thrones guys, doing a new trilogy. You have Ryan Johnson doing a new trilogy. You have, let's see, they're going to do the Obi-Wan movie. Then they're going to do a Boba Fett movie directed by James Mangold, who directed Logan. So a lot of people are like, that's
2: a, that's a good pair right there. A
1: lot of people are like, I don't want these movies, but I'm curious, dude. Like I, I hear like challenge accepted. I want to see how they do this. I want to see how they can pull this off. I want to see how they adapt. And for me, I'm just a film of like, I'm a fan of film. So I want to watch and learn how these trilogies handle themselves. Maybe DB, uh, David Benioff's and DB Weiss's, the Game of Thrones guys don't do as well as Ryan Johnson's. I like the course corrections. I like the learning. And I think there's some very smart minds behind Lucasfilm with Kathleen Kennedy. So I don't know. I like to see how they learn from Solo. For me, this is all like information that we're gathering. I, as me, a fan of film and me, a fan of data, we're, we're just watching this and learning from it. And I think that's pretty cool.
2: Right. You know, and, and also reflecting on a rate of release. Uh, now, the Marvel movies are very divisive for people. Uh, it's, it's hit or miss for a lot of fans but like the harry potter movies eight movies in what was it 10 or 12 years yeah or less yeah and, and then after that we had a big gap and now they're starting the uh, fantastic beasts i don't hear people complaining about that um and then we had uh, the lord of the rings trilogy which came out what every other year
1: yeah it came out what oh one uh wait i was working in a movie oh, one, oh, 02, oh, 03, and then you had hobbit in like 2011 12 13 maybe
2: so then we had a big gap, and then movie, movie, movie. No one's complaining about these movies. Um, again, I, I think it's just, I think it's quality, quality, good director and and con- creative control pairings. I think that this is what really makes it work. Um, I love that there are twelve Jason movies. I love them all, even the bad ones. You know, it's like you can't do wrong to me as long as you give me what feels like Jason Voorhees in a horror movie, even if it's the worst Jason movie.
1: That's a great point. You know what I was just thinking about as you were talking? Like, not everybody's going to be happy with no one's going to be happy about all these Star Wars movies being made, but some people will be happy. No one's ever going to agree on the same thing. So I think Disney Disney and, and and. Lucasfilm should just go ahead and stick with their plans because no one's going to agree with any plan they have.
2: There's the whole other side of that, too. There are the people who never saw the original trilogy and maybe are at such an age that they never saw the prequel trilogy. But there are new Star Wars coming movies coming out, and they're big movie sensations. So People go see the big special effects special, and then maybe they get turned on to go watch the old ones. Sometimes you need new Star Wars movies to create old star wars fans
1: yeah and yeah I, I uh i think solo was a good movie i, I mean i know a lot of people were non like non like non-entertained or, or had let's see what's the word they might have been entertained but they weren't thrilled by it there were just more experience that happened they weren't mad at, they didn't waste their money but uh i don't know man like john when i was younger i would buy books about the bounty hunters just so i could read more about boba fett now they're gonna make a movie about boba fett i want this
2: Again, you give me a good director. I'm excited. I was excited about X-Men Wolverine Origins. It was a terrible movie, but I'm still glad they made it. <laughs> like, I, because it was bad, I'm not like they shouldn't have made that. I'm like, no, I'm glad they made that because I wanted that movie. I just wanted it to be, to be better. <laughs> you know, but, but I mean, that's just how it is. X-Men Apocalypse. Wasn't fantastic. X-Men first class was a lot more fun. I, I, they're not all going to be winners. X2 was the best of the first three X-Men movies for me. Yep. Who'd have thought? Um, so, you know, keep going at it. Let's keep making new fans. And it, again, it, boy, I'm I am shocked. I understand the nature of this question, though, because Johnny didn't grow up with these. I have, I don't know many people our age who didn't. Yeah. I mean, You know what,
1: though? I think I was so into movies that I just thought everybody else was into movies.
2: I'll give you that. I might be falling prey to that, too.
1: Wait, you didn't see this 1973 Vietnamese movie that was cold (laughs) in black and white that was four hours? Are you crazy? Um, No, so I mean I I think a lot of people – I don't know. But I didn't really have many – I never talked – I was a fan of Star Wars, and I wore Star Wars shirts, but no one ever talked to me about Star Wars growing up. So, uh, I mean, maybe maybe the fans just get so immersed in that world they don't realize that other people are just not a, just not that into it.
2: Again, really deep into this. So, Johnny Num did go deeper, and I'll just repeat it. He said, "Furthermore, do you feel that the Disney Marvel merger runs the risk of making the Star Wars and Marvel cinematic universes indistinguishable from one another?" I have to admit, when I watched the, the trailer for Solo, I would have mistaken it for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. If it hadn't featured Chewbacca in the co pilots seat, my gut reaction, again, is a lack of familiar to Star Wars.
1: Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't see that happening too much because, I mean, we've already had, while Marvel has been going on, we've had Batman movies, we've had the Batman versus Superman, we've had Superman, we've had X-Men, we've had two new Spider-Mans, and they all stay relatively, all, all the X-Men Wolverine movies. So, I mean, people can still tell the difference between them. So, I don't know, I thought Solo had a much murkier look than Guardians, but I kind of get the vibe of what he's kind of saying. I, I guess it did have
2: that kind of rough, uh, serenity style, working class sci-fi crew, uh, chase scenes being gruff. Um, there are a bunch of misfits, but like, okay, do they both feature a band of misfits? Yes. Is this a new concept? Absolutely not. The, the original Star Wars was kind of a band of misfits: a whiny Luke, like, a renegade Solo. There's been so many putting together a team
1: movies, you know, Mag- yeah. uh, Seven Samurai, like, right? I mean, Kurosawa. Like, we're putting together a team of eclectic people.
2: Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I can, I can definitely see like the 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 very basic correlations between that and Guardians of the Galaxy from the trailer. If I didn't know anything about either franchise. But it's like, again, I think this its just a – it is a forgivable – a forgivably reused theme because it's the theme that we want. And I don't mean tropiness either. Again, it's the band of – we don't want to see all the established people getting together all the time to go handle something. That gets pretty old too when everyone is the best of the best of the best. Sometimes we want to see different flavorful, flawed characters getting together, and that's what Guardians of the Galaxy does. That's what this does. That's what kind of Ocean's Eleven does. I mean, it's what so many films do. Dirty dozen. That, right, you get, I mean, everyone has their great skill that they're awesome at, but they're generally very flawed characters. Yeah. Ooh, um, great, great escape. Right. No. Yeah. I mean, just all, all across the board. Um, or, or people with nothing to lose, great escape as well. Um, you know, like, we're just all these prisoners, but you, you were a mining engineer and I was a corporal in the army and you were, uh, a plumber. It's like, we can make this work.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, I guess, uh, I don't know. I don't see, I, I think Marvel has, Marvel has established their tone. And I think the I think the Star Wars movie is going to be branching out to new things with um, Off and DB Weiss, and I think it's gonna James Mangold. I think I think it'll be distinguishable.
2: Yeah, no, I, I I don't see that unless God forbid he is going with the more literal sense, and I'm terrified of the fact that this might actually be something that could happen in ten or twenty years, but. God forbid! What if some executives actually decide to cross them over? Now, then I'm going to get upset.
1: But also, I am so close to the Marvel world that I can tell the difference. But if you're a casual moviegoer, you're like, "Who the hell is this purple guy? Does he fight Luke Skywalker? No, that's Thanos. He's Marvel. You know, like
2: I oh, could... but, th- but does Thanos have the Force? Yeah, exactly. So I can see how people would. Is Star Wars from Marvel? I think <laughs> people who aren't
1: us, I could see them getting
2: um. Is Marvel one of the Sith Lords? Yeah. <laughs> was that Darth Thanos? Darth what? Thanos, dude, that was Darth Thanos, though, wasn't it? Dude, that beast. was Emperor Thanos. You
1: wanna, <laughs> you wanna get back into more Solo? Dude, can we talk about Chewbacca? Does a one-legged duck swim in a
2: circle? Dude, let's talk about Chewbacca. I love can Chewbacca. We talk- can we talk about how we meet Chewbacca? He's
1: just in a giant mud puddle trying to murder Solo.
2: So when Solo gets thrown back in the World War the World War scene, right? Way back when he's meeting um Beckett and his band of people posing as officers. Uh and, and, and Beckett sells him out, and they throw Solo in some like deserter pit. And it is like the pit in Army of Darkness when Ash gets <laughs> thrown down yeah. there. And it's just like muck water like pit and he's chained to something and uh and and there's a creature in there in the cave and he's covered in muck and he's getting thrown all over the it reminded me of ash getting thrown in there when there was that hag ogre monster when chewie comes out and just starts throwing him all over the place until he utters like a... like he basically says martha uh because that's his dc safe word and and chewie stops i love it because Because he speaks three words of Wookiee. And then they they team up quickly and then knock the thing down. I love that. So does Chewie eat people? No, that's just it. They expressed – they said that in the movie. He has eaten people. He had not eaten for weeks. Oh, yeah. Chewie Chewie was down there eating people, and I'm sitting here wondering multiple things. I'm wondering one – how many people did he eat, and how long was he down there? Is he like the bear from the movie, the nineteen ninety seven movie, The Edge, that has a taste for human flesh? Is he like going to a special support group to not eat Han Solo in every single movie? Yeah, he's come a long way between that and the porg. Oh, and 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 and, and, and Solo just had to say Martha and Wookie, and and he backed off. <laughs> And he's like, let's get out of here. I guess no one tried to bargain with him before or could speak any Wookiee, but just kind of a funny sidebar. Ever notice how in the whole prequel series, basically all of our heroes understand Chewbacca, but in this movie, it's like Solo is the only one who does? Yeah, it's interesting
1: because uh, Lando understands Chewie later on in Empire.
2: And, and when Leia first meets him, she understands him. Uh, Luke, Luke seems to interact with them, but I don't think there were as many direct Luke interactions, but it's almost like everyone was just understanding him like they understood R2, like they understood binary. It, all of a sudden, like Wookiee was a really common language in episodes four through six, but back in episode, I don't even know what this would be, like, uh, in episode 3.25, I guess that's what Solo is. Cause I think Road One is episode 3.75. Um, he was the only one. But, but, but Chewie understood English. It's a funny little tidbit. It's not meant to be a negative criticism. It's just a fun observation, uh, about the, but really Chewie was wholesale eating people and Solo is totally trusting him later. How many people did, did that Wookiee eat?
1: All right. So he's not, he's not completely soaked in mud, right?
2: Who isn't? Chewy. Oh, no. He's... he's, he's His hair is all clumped, oh, yeah. even in his head. He, he doesn't look... He looks skinny. He always looks skinny.
1: But he looks pretty emaciated, so maybe he's been in there for six months. Well, they said he had
2: meat in weeks. Yeah. Poor guy. I love that Maybe Maybe he looked very supple when he was well-fed. <laughs> it made
1: it... You know what I love, though, in Force Awakens, spoiler, when Kylo Ren kills Solo... Chewbacca straight up shoots Kylo Ren. Like, a right. bu- the bullet hits Kylo. That's awesome. Like, I'm, I was probably from his big ass blaster, but, um, cause Kylo probably couldn't stop that. But that was so cool that Chewbacca's the only guy to just straight up shoot Kylo. That was well, like I mean, boy. and we
2: see, and we see why, right? Because of that, that, that save. I get, boy, you know, the, I'm surprised they didn't bring it up, or did they bring it up in solo? That that was, did he bring up that, basically the life pledge i don't think so i never heard it i feel like I, I feel like i wouldn't have missed that i feel like that's one of those things where i'd be like yep check we covered we you know we've you know like kessel run yes okay this is how he meets chewy yes life pledge yeah but we didn't get the life pledge i, I but i guess it's just implied he saved chewy from lifetime pit monster servitude and that's why he was pledging him for life and at that point he was with him for what uh 30 some oh no well by the time by the time Chewie shoots Kylo that's like that's like 30 or 40 years what's well, right like, yeah so wait
1: it's probably 50 years then he's with Han for like 50 years
2: so he's with him for like 50 of his 240 <laughs> or 250 years which isn't a small amount of time by even by Wookiee standards and yeah that's why he shot him he spent he spent half a century with his life pledge. And some little like you know millennial punk stabs the dude. <laughs> of course you're gonna shoot him. I, I don't know why I didn't shoot him eight times.
1: <laughs> hey, do you wanna do you wanna move on to meeting Lando and L three thirty seven? Yeah. So I like L. Yeah, she was uh
2: she was funny. I like her a lot. I honestly thought I honestly thought it was Emma Thompson.
1: Yeah, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. And so, what, they need a fast ship to get the raw coaxium after they make a deal with Dryden Voss. So then they go find Lando and get his ship, which has been impounded. But I liked L-337 because she's talking about, like, droid-free will, which actually makes all the other characters in Star Wars universe look kind of bad because they're, I don't know, putting restraining bolts on droids. Even though they have free will, she was a she. Was, I liked to I'd I don't, I don't know. So, what did you think about the whole she wanted to uh, hook up with Lando thing, and it works?
2: I I mean, I I, I kind of liked it. Uh, I I will say that as much as I liked that droid, this is the only droid relationship I can remember that felt a little heavy-handed, a little forced.
1: Oh, just like the, her theme.
2: Yeah, they, they were, they're like, let's just beat you over the head with this. Let's find every opportunity for this. Let's make herself conscious when it's almost like peeing on a fence, when she's like, you know, um, getting out of her cutters, uh, when she's saying how their relationship works, when she does all her girl, girl talk. It, it felt so, it felt so heavy that it started to feel unnatural, even though at first it felt very natural. That, that was my, But I liked her, though. No, I I want to be clear. I liked this character. I liked this character. I liked K2 more in Rogue One. Rogue One or
1: last? uh, Rogue One. K2's a gangster. She
2: kind of had... K2 was outstanding.
1: I loved her. You are right, though. She hits you over the head with her dialogue, but I didn't feel like... I felt like Rose was a little worse in Last Jedi. Rose was like a dialogue delivery system. I didn't think her character got to be expanded that much. Uh, So... I don't know. I liked, I, I never thought about that, but I get it. But I had so much fun because it just felt so different to me. Like, even though it stuck out like a sore thumb, I was but like, I, I like this.
2: But, but I like that humanized element because we do see in so many Star Wars movies how attached, emotionally attached we get to our droids. And our droids are always sexless or kind of male. Uh, you know, R2, basically sexless or almost like a dog, if you will, a dog that can you know, be your ship's mechanic. Uh, C-3PO was just like a histrionic nervous guy. K-2 was a cynical guy. And now we finally have a, a, a very distinctly female one that has a good human attachment. And that can happen, right? Because guess what? We saw this with Joaquin Phoenix in her mm-hmm. when there was no physical form to be attracted to. Uh, and you know what? For all you young people listening – 20 years ago, not even – well, less than 20 years ago, we had chat rooms where people were meeting people in other states before we had dating apps and before we had (laughs) Skype. And you lived in a small town and you'd meet people and chat with them with only text and maybe get a phone card and have a conversation once a month. And like – so I get it. I, I don't know if younger viewers get it as much, but I get forming that connection without having whatever your dream bikini body in front of you, or someone who you can kiss right in front of you with a warm body and lips or what, you know what I mean? Like just that connection, because for, for Lando to be attracted to this and and for her to be attracted to Lando, I get that. Um, we form attraction. We form friendships. We form more. And, and And that was, that was a nice change. I think everyone was getting, uh, uh, really either riled up or apprehensive about the pansexuality of Lando. Yeah, people were making a really big deal about that. You know, it's, we had we had a lot of people who were like, you know, heavy, a lot of people who were championing it, and I think that defeats it a little bit when you champion it. And then other people were dismissing it, like, oh, that's stupid. Why is he doing that? And I'm like, well, why, why is that stupid? I'm I'm just the middle ground guy. I'm just like, I see it. I can't wait for a
1: character just to be like that. And it's like, oh, cool. <laughs> and not just a ton of. I mean, you know, obviously there still is going to be, but I, don't, I thought it was. I thought it was fine. And then uh, I thought Donald Glover was really good. I thought I, I would have loved to have him get more screen time. I don't know how much was cut he's out. He's great. Yeah, I mean, he just personifies it. You can tell he's having the time of his life.
2: He uh, is just oozing swag style and landoism.
1: Yeah, and he has a closet full of capes. <laughs>
2: Closet full of capes, right?
1: right? And then, so I guess since we got it, we'll move on a little bit. They team up with L three seven Lando. That, so you have Beckett, you have Chewy, you have Han, you have Kira, you have L three three seven, and then Lando, and they go to a mining planet to get this what un, a raw coaxium. And in this planet, L three three seven starts a droid rebellion, which starts a real rebellion. And in that rebellion, L L3- three thus L three three seven gets killed.
2: Yeah, it was too bad.
1: I was like, what? There were some deaths. I didn't see her getting wiped out like that. I mean, she had to go executive produce and write a really great show. But, um, I was like, holy crap, they just killed her. And,
2: uh. Yeah, I didn't expect that either, either. But I guess that, especially when Ron Howard started backing it, I, I think that that was like the easier death, the non human major death.
1: And you know they had other characters in this movie uh that were completely that couldn't make it back for a reshoot so they were cut out of the film.
2: Ah, oh, okay.
1: But uh I don't know. I I like that scene. I like that uh Chewie went and helped out his Wookiee brethren. I Oh, how about the callback with uh, uh Beckett is wearing uh Lando's mask from Return of the Jedi? Right. I like that's that mask when Lando goes into um Jabba's lair. I also, one of the capes that um, Kira was wearing is worn in Return of the Jedi. So I, I love that. Okay. I love that Kira was shopping in Lando's cape closet.
2: <laughs>
1: but uh, no, I mean, so, yeah. So then what? They get the coaxium, then they fight the giant space beetle. That Death Star was pretty cool, though, when they were trying to exit and those TIE fighters chase them. I thought that was a pretty neat visual. Or he's like,
2: they're not going to send TIE fighters out of three TIE fighters. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't sell TIE fighters after a freight vessel. Three TIE fighters. Boom. Yeah. And I thought there was some pretty cool,
1: like, stunts going on with that. And then at the end, what? They get to the planet. They get the coaxium done. They find out that end feast, that pirate from the beginning, they're actually a bunch of kids. Did you like that whole subplot?
2: I like the subplot. I didn't like the execution.
1: Yeah, I I thought it was interesting that they actually brought the coaxium onto Voss's ship, and then they made right three, like he was like, "Yeah, this is fake."
2: Yeah, and they're reacting like it's nitroglycerin. It's like, blah, blah. And he's like, "Yeah, if this was real, and like," huh? <laughs> <laughs> was it reminding me of that And I, once he said that, once he said that, I was like, "Oh right, yeah, of course, it's not the real stuff."
1: Have you seen that scene in Tropic Thunder where Steve Coogan's head gets blown off
2: and then uh, oh God.
1: Tom Cruise starts or not uh Tom ben Stiller. Uh, ben Stiller starts kissing it
2: and all the people are like uh He sticks God. it on his gun, and he like licks it, he's like, Yeah it's corn syrup Ugh. And all like
1: the, the people are watching him going, This guy's insane.
2: <laughs>
1: but then I oh, don't know, I liked I, I liked um you know the battle between Voss. I like that kind of you know, having Beckett in there. Of course Beckett double-crosses him, and uh, I don't know, I guess that leads us to the Darth Maul reveal of Darth Raul Maul. Well, alright, Homeboy gets killed, Bettany gets killed, Dryden Vos gets killed, Well, and then we find out that Darth Maul is the leader of this crime syndicate. Right. And then you know what they're thinking that's going to set up? The next Obi-Wan movie, because in the comics, or whatever's canon, Darth Maul is killed by Obi-Wan on Tatooine.
2: I'll see that as long as I can see Ray Parks doing his wushu corkscrew magic.
1: Well, look at his Instagram. He's been training a lot. And also, John, I wrote about what the plot of Obi-Wan should be last year. I don't know if you remember that. And I said it should take place on Tatooine with when people learn the location of where Luke is. And he has to chase them down and kill them before they can get to Luke and like transmit it out. And I said the guy from the raid should direct it. So if that happens... Um, if if
2: gareth uh e- evans
1: yep gareth gareth evans gets it so that was my uh that was my pitch and i wrote I feel it like i mixed year. him up
2: is gareth edwards the one who did new godzilla
1: yeah he's he did okay. rogue, he, yeah, he did rogue one in that and then gareth evans is the raid and raid two but i don't know like so what did you think about this ending scene was there anything that stood out for you did you like uh kira's kind of like turning gangster
2: and joining up with
1: darth maul I mean, it's no. like, so maybe not the dialogue. Did you like the idea of it?
2: Sure. Uh, yeah. Again, but the de- the delivery fall, it, it fell flat for me uh, again. I, I really, a lot of people like this movie, so I hope no one's listening. Like, oh, John didn't like it. Don't, don't you go see this movie. Please go see this movie. But I, it just didn't work for me. I, it, it just felt like we were going with the the classic drama of you're going to be my next disciple.
1: Yeah, I guess. Uh, Maybe from some clunkiness, I still kind of liked her decision to go because I still think she she was hiding a lot. I liked that decision a lot.
2: Presumably, there's some history there that we haven't experienced. She might have trained him or he might have trained her. Right. Like if I had gotten some of that, that would have been nice. And if it was supposed to be implied in the film, it didn't feel implied properly. Again, it's just one of those things that didn't really... Hit right for me.
1: Did you like the and, Warwick? Uh, did you like the Warwick Davis cameo?
2: I like that he was in it. I wish they gave him more lines. He had like one line. He looked cool though. Yeah, I, I was happy to see him. I was very happy to see him. I'm glad they gave him work. It gave good fan service and it gave good. It it, it it gave him a role too, which is nice. Um, I don't see a lot of him anymore. I don't think.
1: You know what I want to talk to you about? Hmm. Is the scene so at the end? Uh, it's Beckett, Woody Harrelson. And it's Solo. Solo just learned that Kira left him. And he just shoots first and kills Beckett. Right. Now, you know what's interesting? I just read an article. I put it on... uh, I I guess I I can attach it to the, the podcast. But it's an article by Polygon. And they said that Han shooting first in New Hope is kind of against his character. And so this thing, this whole Han shot first, is not really who Han is. Because... Yeah, he shot, he shot Greedo in cold blood, and I get it, but the rest of the movie, he's pretty affable. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, they're saying that this thing that Han has been represented by isn't really him. So to shoot first again is to solidify an idea of that, of he's not that guy. Are you letting it sink
2: in? I just think that it's circumstantial. I don't. I, I think if he shot first 18 times, it doesn't necessarily matter until you look at the situation. And with Guido, it was different. Guido? <laughs> Guido. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a Jersey Italian everybody. <laughs> Guido. I was wondering why I was wearing the chains. But no, with, with him, it was different.
1: Yeah, I mean, he had to kill him and he had to get out of there. But I just don't think, like, what... The, You know Han shot first. I don't think that's important to him as a character. For me, like I don't care if Greedo if the CGI switches it to let Greedo shoot first. That that was never important to me about him doing that,
2: or to let the Guido shoot first. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs)
1: Maybe he was from the New Jersey of planets.
2: I just I just got to ride this wave. (laughs) Just got to ride it. Any Italians listening? I am Italian. Please don't be upset. I should have just, a... <laughs> i should have kept saying Guido to see how long that goes. It would, no, I would have never caught it. No, but I just—I don't I know. Never...
1: <laughs> I just think it's interesting. I never thought that first shot was important to me, and it's interesting. You know, Ryan Johnson should have seen the fan reaction because when George Lucas added eight effect shots in the latest Star Wars movies, people hated it. Like, I refused to buy the Blu-rays with the new CGI in
2: it it bothers me yeah I, I bought them i bought them and when i saw that the closing hologram with anakin with hayden christensen and i'm just i was angry at it i was angry at the screen
1: so it's kind of funny
2: how we were annoyed by that but last jedi didn't really annoy us no i thought that movie was great i mean i have my criticisms of it but no i thought it was great but that's it's pretty like i guess i guess my the annoyances i had with at him
1: adding cg i mean it's george lucas's movie he can do whatever the heck he wants with it but i didn't think those were necessary so the changes in last jedi i'm like cool this is a new direction this makes sense like it's new you didn't add a laser blast you know or a lizard in the background i call it cheating cheating but he didn't have to cheat he already had like a billion dollar grossing thing i mean i know And He made what all made, the money from the, the DVDs.
2: Made it feel cheap to me. I didn't. I just didn't like that. It. It's like it's you know you once brought up on one of our podcasts. Now this is a different scenario, but um, you brought up uh, what um uh what was it? What Roger Ebert said about at, uh post credit scenes. What was that? It, it had to do with um, you can give a post credit scene, but you do not get to give a post credit scene that alters the story. Um, it, it was something to that effect. It's like, but y- you, you give your story before the credits. If you give something afterwards, it complements it. it. It doesn't change the story. You had your time for the film. And this is no way. It is a huge paraphrasing. Um, but he didn't like post credit scenes that added to the story. And in this case, I don't like these additions that literally change what our characters saw, or it's because I didn't like the way it looked on my on my TV screen. Yeah, it looked bad. It did look bad. Maybe I, that's part of it, too, I guess. It's almost like we, we were talking about earlier in this episode. I didn't necessarily recognize cinematography that I might like more when I see the movie again because I was focusing on the movie. And that's not how I watch movies. That's not what I notice. Um, you know, it's like, well, in this case, I noticed how the effect looked and the how the effect looked affected my emotional reaction to the content maybe but when i just saw that when i just saw hayden christensen on there and just like come on you don't belong in this trilogy even in that form
1: i'm gonna ask you another question uh two more questions before we kind of start wrapping up okay was hayden christensen that bad in those movies
2: do you think no no he just absolutely did not belong in the other trilogy
1: he oh I'm just talking about in general, like because people hate on Hayden Christensen. But could anybody? I think Natalie Portman is one of the best actress actors of her generation. I think she has been in some amazing performances. Even Annihilation, I thought she was incredible in. But
2: just saw that, yeah.
1: She's just a kid in that movie. But nobody was good in these movies. Like you know, Liam Neeson had some good moments. But for the like, nobody felt comfortable in these Star Wars films. There's some great moments of action. But I don't think it's Hayden's fault. And also the dialogue that he had to say. Some of that dialogue was like, you know, a ham sandwich, like ham fisted. Like it was not, I don't see a problem with, I, I've never hated on Hayden for that. So I guess when I saw The Force Ghost, I didn't hate it. I didn't hate
2: I, it. He, I, I didn't like seeing something added to something that I had seen dozens of times that, in my opinion, added no value to it.
1: Gotcha. And you know what I think? If you guys are looking to rewatch a movie, rewatch Revenge of the Sith. And when Hayden goes full Darth, he's good. That's what I think he got hired for. Remember how Paul Walker was really good at freaking out in movies? Oh, yeah. Running scared. Yeah. Paul Walker has the best freak out. I think Hayden Christensen had that very good turn. A uh, very good, like, switch. I thought he pulled that off really well.
2: I think a lot of people complained about his whininess, but really I think that the whole goal from the direction was to emulate the whininess of Luke, but that he more succumbed, and that helped guide him to the dark side and everything. It it served the character well, even though it didn't serve the the, the response to the actor well. <laughs>
1: kind of crazy that the actor got really attacked on that. I just don't, oh, see, yeah. I don't I see that being a, I think some actors have put in very poor performances, and I've seen actors really not try in movies, but I don't think that was the case with that. And then, last question. What's your favorite
2: Star Wars movie, and what's the best Star Wars movie? Are these your questions, by the way, or are these listeners? I'm, just, extra I'm, listener I'm, I'm just asking these. Okay. Um. So, could you repeat the question? I'm sorry. That
1: what's, your, what's the best Star Wars movie, and what's your favorite Star Wars movie?
2: The best... And my favorite – that's difficult. Sometimes I have trouble kind of hedging those out. But um, my favorite is Rogue One. Hands down. Hands down. No question. The best? Uh, it's going to be episode one or two. Oh, uh, oh, not one or two. I'm sorry. a uh, uh, Four
1: or five. I'm going to say the best is Empire – Best made movie, and then my favorite's New Hope. I do love Rogue One. The only part I don't like about Rogue One is when Diego Luna falls 30 feet and lands on a metal pipe. And his <laughs> back would be completely shattered and turned into jelly. That and Cure for Wellness. They just don't want to break our characters' backs, which I get.
2: When you, yeah, even 30 feet onto a stone staircase, your back's <laughs> fine. you just like, oh, oh, it hurts. It's like I got punched once by put, someone who wasn't even this strong
1: That would put Yoda out of commission.
2: So wait, so you're saying uh, your choices are episodes five and four? Yeah. And for me, my my choices are episodes four slash five and three point seven five.
1: There we go. Awesome. We're
2: we're, we're we're in the same zone there. <laughs> I love Rogue One. I think I I just can't get
1: over like my here here's mine in order. I got I think I already did this, but it's it's Empire, then I have New Hope. Oh no. New Hope, Empire return of the jedi rogue one last jedi solo force awakens revenge of the sith attack of the clones phantom menace
2: i'm very similar to you with one huge exception and that's that i well again if i'm going with my favorites order i drop solo to the bottom if i'm going with best films i wouldn't though i wouldn't drop solo to the bottom for best film
1: and oh, uh, on this podcast, if you want, if you're still listening, head to movies, films, and flicks. Head to the podcast posts. I'll link to a Star Wars data article I did that has a ton of Star Wars data. If you want to read more about the Star Wars world, uh, that'll be kind of fun for you guys. Uh, any uh, plugs? Anything uh, before we get out of here?
2: You know, I got I got bunches of plugs. Uh, we've got John F. Leonard on Twitter. He's a he's a horror author. He's been he, he shares our stuff devoutly. We're always grateful. Um, Isaac Thorne, another author. Some of his, uh, horror writing has been turned into some short films lately. Um, he's been all over our Deadpool 2 along with Billy Crash from Crash Palace and The Last Knock. Um, Sharon All Over Your Highlander post was, uh, at Grim Horror 2Ms on Twitter. Uh, Leo Craven, we know on Twitter. He's always sharing our material too. We have so many devout, uh, People just sharing our stuff all over. I feel like we could just start a Sith farm out of them. They just follow our way. <laughs> we have um, uh, Mister Horror, who's from um, horrormoviesandstuff.com. Uh, <laughs> he and a lot of people were giving some funny comments about my review of the stupid 1991 movie called Bloodsucking pharaohs in pittsburgh i'll just let that gel for a moment for any listeners who aren't familiar with that film who are probably every single listener megan was some... like
1: where does he find these movies i'm like comic cons maybe
2: where... I, I found that at a video uh, at a brick and mortar video store wow. and it is a blu-ray release no joke uh <laughs> That just came out limited. Uh, the Flix X-Raid podcast, uh, they took one of my listener questions recently. That was nice of them. Uh, for our listener questions, the folks I know were Johnny Numb and, uh, Sarah from Alabama. Um, we had a couple listener questions from Sean, uh, someone who I think submitted to you, Mark. Uh, Yeah, he's my brother-in-law. Your brother-in-law, Sean. Okay. And, uh, oh, we got this week another five-star rating. From David, entomologist in Fort Lauderdale. I can't get my tone right. I keep going from high, to low. Nah, David. David, I you get... rock. David, I went to Namibia with. And hot kick city. I was totally smelling elephants from 20 feet away with David. Nice. And he gave us a five star rating. And 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 he. I don't ask for anything from people who don't listen. David's heard us. He th- he's he's very entertained by our shenanigans. But those are my plugs, Mark. Uh, do you have any additional plugs? Do you want to let them know what we're doing next week? Do you want to tell them where they can find us?
1: Yeah, uh, moviesfilmsandflix.com, moviesfilmsandflix.com. A-N-D, Head to the website, read all of our stuff. If you look in the top corner there, you'll see MFF data. That's all the data work that I've done. That then you'll see John's horror corner, uh, all the horror he's written. He has an index that's, I mean, it's worthy of an index. And then we have, uh, our, all of our past podcasts. Also go ahead to iTunes, uh, rate, review, and subscribe. We'd love to know what you think. Uh, it helps us out a lot. Obviously, if you listen to us, if you like us, if you're bored, like I'm, we're not asking you to go do it right now. Like if you're just bored, right? If you're like looking through Facebook, right? And you're like, I'm tired of Facebook. Why do I spend all my time on this? Just get out of Facebook and then go to iTunes and write review, and subscribe to our pod. Piece of cake. And uh, thank you, Sean, for these listener questions. They were great. Led to some great uh, answers. And next week we will be talking about Upgrade, which is being released Friday. So if you have any questions about Upgrade or if you have any questions about Lee Wannell, who did all the Saw and Insidious movies, let us know. We'll be happy to answer them next week. So uh, for me, Mark Hoffmeyer, and for John Levingood, this is Movies, Films, and Flicks. Have a great night.
0: What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At US Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
2: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
1: <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky.